Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is a podcast from Minute Media. First member of the Hall of Fame 2022 was named to eight all-star teams in an 18-year big league career with the Dodgers and Mets. He delayed the start of his career while serving in the Marines, and when he returned, he was widely considered the best first baseman in baseball over a 12-year period, leading all players at his position in nearly every offensive category. His 14 career Grand Slams were once a National League record, and at the time of his retirement, he ranked 11th all-time in home runs with 370. He helped lead the Dodgers to seven National League pennants and two World Championships, and went on to manage for nine seasons in the big leagues, including the World Champion Miracle Mets of 1969. Gil Hodges now joins baseball's Hall of Fame legends in Cooperstown. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Friday, December the 31st, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can just show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I always want to welcome in our good friends, the Fan Sided Podcasting Network, and check out the good folks over at RisingApple.com. 
Happy New Year, everybody, and I come to you a couple of days early, and as promised, we were going to take a little break here for the New Year's weekend, and I didn't want to go dark, and I wanted to bring you content, so I came up with something that I thought you all would really like. Gil Hodges was elected into the Hall of Fame, and you heard coming in the announcement from the Baseball Hall of Fame, oh, just a little over, a little less than a month ago. And yeah, Gil Hodges' career was known for what he did with the Brooklyn Dodgers and their battles with the Yankees and certainly winning the championship in Brooklyn in 1955. But no Mets story can be told without understanding Mets history. And I didn't even know that in addition to winning the 1969 World Series, the first championship in Mets history, and how he turned the franchise around, I had no idea, and you'll learn about it in a film, Gil Hodges' film, uh, by a man named Kevin O'Malley and others, and you'll check that out in just a bit. But Gil Hodges hit the first home run in Mets history. So there's this connection with Gil Hodges really from day one in the Mets' existence, and it he deserves, after the long, long road that obviously fans of Gil, fans of the Brooklyn Dodgers, Mets fans have endured where he was pretty much elected into the Hall of Fame, but they omitted his vote because uh, on the Veterans Committee because Roy Campanella couldn't make it. He wasn't present. We talked about that on a show earlier in the month. Now he finally makes it on the Golden Era ballot. He's going to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Hopefully there'll be a celebration in Cooperstown. I know the world's a little topsy-turvy at the moment, but the hope is that Cooperstown will still be able to do an in-person celebration this summer and honor Gil Hodges, and I'm sure Mets fans will flock to that little town up in upstate New York and uh, pay homage to a very important figure in Mets history. I think more important as we go along, you're going to really hear a lot today. Not only are you going to hear from Kevin O'Malley, who if you check out, you really got to check out the website, gilhodgesfilm.com. It's it's free. You don't have to uh, pay for it. But gilhodgesfilm.com, and I'll bring that up here in just a, a minute. Yeah, gilhodgesfilm.com, soul of a champion, the Gil Hodges story. I think what you'll really get out of that is learning a lot about who Gil Hodges was. Some real great video. I, I have to tell you, there was a couple of clips I've never seen before. And I think that's one of the missed opportunities of, of baseball and sports in general is because in the 60s and 70s, all these great great athletes played these great World Series, and you were just in the beginning in the advent of television. They didn't have the technology or really the desire to understand how these clips would would preserve time and, and really there'd be such a demand for even more content if we could go back and, and see more of the great players from that era. But there's only so much, obviously, film left. I even heard... If you think back, the WOR used to do the Mets games at a Secaucus. I think they threw out a bunch of tapes of Mets games back, even from the 80s. You don't have a lot of 86 Mets clips outside of the standard stuff. Obviously, the playoffs, and there's some from the season, but sometimes it's even hard to get from the 80s Mets clips of games that just regular games. But and with YouTube and people who have VHS out there, I know that there is some stuff out there. But um, So you'll hear from Kevin O'Malley. Gil Hodges film. Kevin is a, a you know great guy, uh, part of a great organization. Catholic, Catholic, Catholic. Excuse me, Catholic athletes for Christ. Got a little tongue tied on that. And then I'm going to go into the vault for a really special clip, a short interview I conducted about ten years ago, back in 2011, with Joan Hodges, the late you know the widow of the of of Gil Hodges, and you'll get to hear her perspective. Obviously, it's an old clip. 
just warning you, old voiceover IP, early days of podcasting and radio technology. Couldn't get her on WGBB Live, obviously, with scheduling and whatnot. So I had to record it. And back then, you didn't have the technology you have today. So you'll hear a clip from an old interview out of the vault, another special New Year present to the fans of the Talking Mets podcast, as Joan Hodges, the widow of Gil Hodges, uh, will talk a little bit about her husband and remember some of the experiences as she was right there with him with those old Brooklyn Dodger teams. But first, the Knuckleheads podcast brings on some of the best NBA players, past and present, to have totally unguarded conversations about sports, culture, and basketball nostalgia. NBA veterans Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles are lifelong friends and bona fide truth-tellers. Listen as they invite special guests, high-profile athletes, musicians, and entertainers to get brutally honest about everything from current events to untold stories from the golden era of sports and culture. Named for the on-court celebration they made wildly popular, this unfiltered, hilarious, and surprising podcast is like playing NBA 2K with no fouls. Check out the Knuckleheads podcast. Guests this season include Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Sue Bird, and DeMar DeRozan. Let them know that Mike Silva from the Talking Mets podcast sent you. We'll get to that. We'll get to the Joan Hodges clip. We'll get to Kevin O'Malley and Gil Hodges' film in a bit. But as I was looking, and I wanted to go into this a little bit, and you'll hear more. We'll do a Hall of Fame show. The Hall of Fame announcement is late January, and I think every year, for those who've been listening for the last you know few years, I do my own Hall of Fame ballot. I don't have a vote. I probably never have a vote. And I think I look at this pretty fairly. So... I'll get into that. Today's not the day for A-Rod and Big Poppy and Bonds and Clemens and all those guys. That's a whole nother show. That's a whole nother day. But I'll start out by saying this. Gil Hodges is a Hall of Famer. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for a variety of reasons, and I know there was debate about that, but there really is no doubt when you start to look at and break down numbers. And I'll start by giving you, in case you haven't heard it, and if you have heard it, then ignore it, but I've been talking about this for years, going all the way back to when I was on ESPN Radio out on Long Island. My Hall of Fame criteria is as follows. First, you have to look at the overall work and the body of work, and I do include advanced metrics like war, wins above replacement, OPS+, things like that. I believe there needs to be a period of elite performance, really 10 years, a decade, or some close proximity to 10 years is what I'm looking at. Because elite performers don't just do it for one or two years and fizzle out, even if they compile a lot of numbers, you have to do it over a period of time. I think there needs to be an historic component to their game. What did they do historically? And, you know, did they set a record? Were they part of a championship run with teams, multiple championship runs? Did they do something tremendous in the postseason? I mean, some look, Bill Mazeroski made it into the Hall of Fame because of a home run in the World Series to win a World Series. He really wasn't a Hall of Famer when you look at all the other metrics altogether. But that moment put him in. The final thing, and this is the hardest part because you really need to have lived through that, watched them as a fan, covered them as a writer or a radio host, whatever the era is. It's the intangible look and feel. And part of what I believe I need to do a better job with going forward when I start to look and and all the guys who are up for the Hall of Fame now, I watch play. Maybe I watched them when I was young and your baseball knowledge and the way you look at the game develops over time. There's no question about that. How you look at the game when you're 15 or 20 or 25 or even how I looked at the game when I started doing this independent media over 15 years ago. It's changed because you learn and develop and evolve and grow. 
but you, that intangible look and feel. And I think Gil Hodges has that intangible look and feel. When you go and you look at numbers, and it's amazing to me how few first basemen, first off, are in the Hall of Fame. Gil is the 16th first baseman in the Hall of Fame. Think about that. The 16th first baseman. There's not a lot of first basemen. There's a lot of pitchers in the Hall of Fame. There's a lot of outfielders in the Hall of Fame. But first baseman, even third baseman, it's kind of light as the committee has been hard on those positions. And I think with Gil Hodges getting in and finally getting in on the Veterans Committee, my hope is as there's other errors coming up for inspection by the Veterans Committee, they will start to look at other first basemen that deserve consideration. And I'll tell you what, and we'll get to that in a minute, and that's another big part of this New Year's celebration, not just celebrating the career of Gil Hodges as a manager and as a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers, but other first basemen, and there's a Mets connection that should be considered and possibly should be voted in on a future Veterans Committee into the Hall of Fame. I know of one, and you probably know who that is, but there may be another, and I'll let you think a little bit about that, that has a Mets connection, not play the majority of his career at the Mets, but another Mets connection. So we'll get into that in just a minute. But Gil Hodges has that all. When you talk about the overall work, you go from 1945 to 1957. Gil Hodges in baseball was uh, a top player. Uh, you go in that period, Gil Hodges was a top 15 player. He was basically, when you look at win shares, it's about a win less than Willie Mays. Put it in perspective. Win less than Willie Mays. He was the best first baseman in the game during that period. That's well over a decade. He was fifth in home runs, over 1,500 hits. And if you look all time as, as the game has evolved since Gil retired back in the 60s, he's still 27th in wins above replacement uh, as far as first basemen go. 12th in home runs as a first baseman. He won a gold glove his last season in Brooklyn and actually won a couple gold gloves uh, as uh, let me make sure I have that right. He won a gold glove. You know, let me see here real quick because there's so many numbers just flying at you right here. Yeah, I mean, he won a couple of gold gloves. He won another one in L.A. in 1959 as he went out uh, and 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 played. Uh, you know, those early years when you know it was part of the uh, you know the you know the Dodgers. So uh, there's definitely a period of dominance here that Gill had and. What kept them out for so long? I'm not sure. It's probably politics. But then when you go to the other aspects that look in that feel, here's a guy that gave up. I mean, and there's articles, and I think I tweeted that out. You can go check out over at Mike Silva Media, the article. Um, I tweeted it out. Gil signed up to go into the military. He was in the Marines. He was up and out in Okinawa. Didn't talk a lot about it. You know, always a guy that was modest and stoic and, and serious. But he saw some combat. And he won a medal over there. And you don't just win medals for managing the mess hall when you're in the uh, in the Marines. You're not doing when you when you and he enlisted. He didn't get drafted. He didn't go begrudgingly. He enlisted. He he was a minor league player. He was a player for the Dodgers. He played for the Dodgers. Had some a cup of coffee with the Dodgers. And he goes and he enlists and he and he loses a couple of years of his career. It's the equivalent of Pete Alonso basically saying, you know, his first year in the big leagues. Or before his first year in the big leagues, I'm going off to war for a couple of years. See ya, you know, in a little bit. So his development was stunted a little bit. Didn't really start going until the age of 25. But think about that. Think about, and I understand the value system of our society is a little different. Maybe people look at war and going to war and enlisting into the uh, the Marines or the military or whatever a little differently today. 
But you got to give the guy a ton of credit. It's actually brought up. It was brought up by Vince Scully and, and Kevin O'Malley when we get to his segment, Gil Hodges' film. It's a big part of the film. You learn a little bit about Gil's childhood, his father growing up in Indiana, the values that he had going into the military, you know, why he'd go into service and, 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 you know, what kind of man he became because of that. I think you, you can't necessarily, and I've always said this, integrity and, and off the field is always a, a slippery slope when you start talking about the Hall of Fame. And, I, you know, I've always had an issue with those who take this hardline steroid stance and won't let somebody in. A-Rod, for example, he's a Hall of Famer. As he, as he meet the sportsmanlike conduct or his behavior off the field, uh, that of a Gil Hodges, we all know the answer. But different times, different value systems for people, different ways of looking at players. I certainly don't think I would criticize anybody for putting it into the conversation. I wouldn't automatically eliminate it uh, from looking at a player's career. And I think that's where you go into the tangible look and feel. See, when I talk about integrity, or about off the field and, and, and leadership, that's the intangible look and feel that you have to be there. You have to kind of know the person. You have to put it in context of society, put it in context of the era and all that's going on. So all those together, you know, and you haven't even gotten to his work as a manager. I mean, here he is taking a team that couldn't get out of its way, consistent 100-game losers, immediately second year win a championship, and I think he could have been an all-time great manager, you know, a Whitey Herzog type who won. Whitey Herzog won over 1,200 ball games and is a Hall of Famer, by the way. Uh, if he had not passed away in uh, 1972, I know that, you know, he could have at least manage the Mets in the three or four years, potentially getting, I think he's got a little over 300 wins, could have got about 600 wins in Mets history. Now, I understand a lot happened in the 70s with the Mets and M. Donald Grant and trading Seaver and who knows how long Gil would have put up with that nonsense and where he could have went. But could you have easily seen Gil Hodges being kind of like the Mets' Tommy Lasorda or the Mets' Walter Alston or the Mets' Joe Torre and, and, and be around for a decade plus and maybe eventually be the guy that handed off a younger team to a, a Davey Johnson? I mean, who knows? Maybe he stays on and he's one of those guys that that manages well into the mid-80s. He was a young man when he passed. I mean, uh, you don't know. But as a guy that was involved with baseball for so long, uh, the, the what-if game, that, that's something you have to play. So to me, he, he fits all that criteria. I think you could play fun with numbers with Gil Hodges all day. And, you know, wherever he washes out, you want to take his... 12-year period from 45 to 57 overall as a first baseman, the manager uh, uh, situation, his, his, his service to the country. I mean, this is, in a time where there's so much negativity about sports and the world in general, I can't see a lot of negativity about Gil Hodges. And one of the best stories, and you'll, again, GilHodgesFilm.com, it's free. It's about 30 minutes. Easy. I mean, here over New Year weekend, if you have any free time, check it out. There's a story from uh, Gil's son about how during the funeral, Howard Cosell pulls him out of his uh, out of the service, and there's a surprise guest, and I'm not going to give it away. There's a surprise guest waiting for him in one of the, the cars, and what was said from that former big leaguer to Gil's son about Gil, uh, very touching and tells you a lot about who Gil Hodges was. So uh, interesting stuff. We'll get to Kevin O'Malley 
in a minute. And then when we get to Kevin O'Malley and when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about other first basemen that could potentially be Hall of Fame consideration. And both of them are Mets. And I think we really need to start to look at the Hall of Fame and, you know, who's who's missing, especially at first base, a little bit deeper as we go into the subsequent years and ballots and whatnot. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, Kevin O'Malley, Gil Hodges film. We'll be back with that and more right after this. The stories from the 1986 Mets are legendary and never get old. One that always comes to mind is how Houston pitcher Mike Scott mastered them during the NLCS. Did he scuff the ball? Did a ball exist? The answer is yes. And Nick Davis, director of the ESPN 30 for 30, Once Upon a Time in Queens, shared how Ed Hearn gave him the proof on the Talking Mets podcast. You know, when I first contacted him, because I had read that there was a sock of balls that he still had. And um, I, you know, he was like, yeah, sure, I got them right here. And then, you know, he calls me two days later. I can't find the balls. Where, I don't know where the balls are. And so it was like a real thing for a couple of months. And then he, his parents, they were in Florida. And so they had to be shipped from Florida to where we were going to interview him in Kansas City. And it was a real, uh, it was a real thing. And Ed was very funny about, oh, you only want me. Can I make this joke? You only want me for my ball. <laughs> Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. We're back, and I'm really happy to have with us Kevin O'Malley. If you haven't had a chance, check out GilHodgesFilm.com. Kevin is part of a great organization, CatholicAthletesForChrist.org, and we're going to talk all Gil Hodges, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. And, and Kevin, now you're out, I'm assuming, on the West Coast Dodger fan, big Dodger fan, it sounds like, coming in. So we'll we'll let the enemy in, uh, but listen – Big day a week ago, Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's been a long time debate, a lot of controversy over the years. And I'll tell you what, I've been one of those guys. I never saw Gil. Um, I'm in my 40s, so I wasn't even around for the 69 Mets. I've always been on the fence, you know, and not seen the player. But really, having watched your film, listened to a lot of what has been talked about. Vince Scully, who is in your film, talking about Gil right before the vote. A great day and a well-deserved honor for Gil Hodges, now a Hall of Famer. Welcome to the program. How are you doing? No, I, uh, pleasure to be here, Mike. You have a great podcast. And anytime we want to talk about Gil Hodges, I'm always, uh, always here, ready to do so. There you go. So what made you get now? Um, I'm assuming you weren't a Brooklyn Dodger fan. You're an L.A. Dodger fan. And, and Gil was never really a he was with the L.A. Dodgers, but he was more known for his time in Brooklyn and then obviously as manager of the Mets. What made you take up this uh, campaign? And, and by the way, for those listening, luminaries like Vince Scully, Tommy Lasorda, Cleon Jones, Ron Swoboda, among others in this film. So this is not just any documentary. This, is, uh, this has got some uh, heavyweights in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the genesis of this project dates back to the 2016-2017 timeframe. And I uh, worked on a project with Vince Scully, a rosary CD that's on our website. And I learned in working with Vin and others in the Dodgers organization, I'd often hear the name Gil Hodges. And I, like you, um, too young to have actually seen Hodges play and uh, was born the year before the 69 Miracle Mets. Um, But I knew the name, but I did not know the story. And I, I've learned that that is a, a very common 
approach to a number of fans uh, that we that we've talked with. And so I did the research. I started reading Gil Hodge's documentaries and literally in 2017, after reading a number of them, the light bulb went off. And I said, I can't believe that no one has done a film on this man. It's an incredible story, as you know, not just his playing career and his managerial um, uh, successes, but um, as a father, as a husband, as a great American serving our nation um, in the Pacific theater. And I enlisted two Emmy Award winning uh, filmmakers, a writer and a director, uh, David Nallieri and Rob Kazmark at Spirit Juice. And we began this quest in 2017, um, slowly but surely putting nickels and dimes together to send out crews. And, um, and we reached a point just before COVID hit where our goal was to make a 60-minute documentary to go on PBS. COVID kind of took out plan A. We went to plan B which was uh, paying the costs that we still owed uh, for licensings and such, and proudly uh, released it on November the 8th, just a mere four weeks prior to the vote. And the, what we have in this story, what we really wanted to, to focus on was telling the story, the life of Gil Hodges growing up in rural Indiana, a coal mining town, working his way, uh, playing that first season, uh, 1943, just one game before he then enlisted in the military and served our nation, coming back really his first season, 1947, um, coming back to the Dodgers now as an infielder because Roy Campanella was now uh, mining the store behind home plate, so to speak, and um, was there for the integration of Jackie Robinson. And as you mentioned, the Hall of Fame a vote which Hodges was unsuccessful in, in um, reaching induction many times, 34 times in the past uh, with failure. And we wanted to tell the story that it's more than just the numbers. Yes, the successes as part of the boys of summer of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yes, the successes in leading this incredible Mets team to an unprecedented uh, world championship in 1969. But we really wanted to focus on his role, quiet yet not, uh, uh, it was a quiet role, but an important one in helping Jackie integrate into Major League Baseball and to focus on the Hall of Fame. And so, as you point out, Cleon Jones, Art Shamsky, Ron Swoboda, all um, obviously attest to the uh, incredible um, life of Gil Hodges as a manager, as a father figure, as a player, and that he deserves to be in there. And so um, we think we achieved that. We know that a number of the voters saw the film um, and uh, we were hopeful that that uh, obviously played a role in his uh, success of being indu- inducted on last Sunday. Absolutely. And Kevin O'Malley with me, GilHodgesFilm.com. By the way, you can't get You get as close to the voice of God with Vince Scully doing the rosary. I always say I love Vince Scully. Uh, I'm jealous of the Mets have had great announcers, but the Dodgers have a legendary guy and he's still very sharp at his age. It's it's you know, God bless him on that. And, you know, the one thing about uh, reading, watching the film and reading about Gil, I grew up in Brooklyn. I was a Mets fan. I grew up in the, you know, the 80s. But there's a and, and I believe Mrs. Hodges still lives in, I believe, Flatbush in her she old does. house. The house much that changed. they raised the family in. 
much changed neighborhood. You know, someone who grew up in Brooklyn, went to Catholic school, knows the whole Brooklyn narrative, maybe not quite, you know, the era of the 50s, the 80s was, but it wasn't too far away. It really brings back a simpler time of baseball. And quite honestly, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, yes, the numbers are, are, are still very good, but we always talk about the Hall of Fame in terms of bad character, steroids, uh, race, whatever it may be called. You know, Ty Cobb known as all the bad things that have been he's been accused of. But we never give people credit for good things. And I always, it's a slippery slope, right? But with Gil Hodges, war hero, people constantly forget guys like Yogi Berra, Gil Hodges, all these guys gave up years of their lives for obviously a cause that was necessary. And uh, their careers were changed. I mean, think about Pete Alonso going off to war for four years in the middle of his career. Ted Williams. And these were not just guys who were grunts. They were big time in uh, whether it be the, the in Navy or the military or wherever they wound up going. And I think Gil, that is what is all encompassing, how he was a great baseball player. He helped with the integration of, of, of Jackie Robinson. He was a, a hero to his country. And then he puts the cherry on top and, you know, he comes back and he has this historic moment with the Mets turning this franchise around. You know, not too many managers have that moment. He had that moment and he, he left far too soon. And I said to myself, well, this was so obvious all along. We just didn't look at it that way. We, maybe we were looking to at like Gil's numbers were good. He retired. The game changed. And, and it's just amazing to me how varied his, his life experience is coming from, like you said, Indiana, coming out of that coal mining town. Absolutely. You raise a great point. And that's one of the, as your viewers will see in the film, if they haven't seen it already, one of the focus points is having uh, the voting criteria is what you do on the field, but as well as your sportsmanship, integrity and character. And as you rightly point out, the voters for the Hall of Fame historically use that to keep people out. We're seeing it right now, modern day, with uh, uh, Bond, Schilling, and uh, Clemens in their final year on the modern day ballot this year. And uh, but the vote, the voting, the Hall of Fame's never really used it in the affirmative, and that was what we really wanted to focus on. That yes, those numbers are what they are, and rightly so. They're borderline. They're kind of right there. They're not an obvious 500 home runs. He wasn't a two-time MVP, but the numbers are very, very solid for the era in which he played in. Um, But when you pull in that extra quality, this man was an unbelievable American, an unbelievable father, mentor, husband. And what you want, as uh, I think Tom Oliphant said so poignantly in the film, you want a father to bring his son to the Hall of Fame and point to that guy. That's what your sports hero should be. Somebody who excels on the field and off the field and doing it with great humility. Hodges, probably one of the things that hurt him is he was not a vocal, outgoing, gregarious individual looking for you know, to be on the front cover of Sport Magazine or the Sporting News, right. be on the TV. Incredibly quiet, incredibly humble, but very effective in a quiet way. Brings me to him as a manager. I mean, here's a guy that we knew, you know, offensively, great offensive player playing in Brooklyn. But he comes to the Mets and, you know, Cleon Jones is in this in this film. And there's a famous moment in 69 where he basically walks out to left field, takes Cleon out of a game. You know, Cleon was a controversial figure at times in Mets history. Now, although he was quiet, from afar, he looked like a guy that was straight, direct, honest. 
Sounds a little bit like the guy they may be trying to hire right now, Buck Showalter. I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know, sometimes it's amazing how direct and honest to the point without screaming, without yelling, without any machinations gets the message through. And here's Cleon, Swoboda, Shamsky, among others who I don't think anybody who played for him, and maybe they didn't always agree with how he played them. There was a lot of platooning that t- at that time. Nobody seems to have said, you know, I don't want to talk about Gil. And, and that's, I don't care if it's the 60s, the 80s, 2021. Not everybody loves their manager and not everybody likes to say good things about their manager. Believe me, I've had former Mets, Yankees, when I've done other shows on the program, there's times you bring up old managers, either they don't say anything or, you know, there's enough to be said. So I it's mean, amazing. It interesting. We're 50 years plus from yep. the, from that championship. And yet these gentlemen, you know, made time both for this film, but even in the last few weeks, advocating, promoting, you know, sadly, we lost one of the giants on that team not long ago in Tom Seaver. And if you go back and watch his induction speech from the early 90s, he was, you know, he proudly identified two men in his life. One, thankfully, his his father was there still living and was there for that induction. But sadly, he recognized a man who wasn't there being Gil Hodges. And he really was like a second father to Seaver and many of those young players on that team. He brought discipline. He brought purpose and direction to a team that needed it. I mean, look what he did between those just those two seasons of 68 and 69 alone. Right. When he passed, it, lot, a lot of people say that the franchise, which wound up taking a bad turn, it started there. There's so many what ifs with Gill's managerial career. I mean, not many people could be transcendent coaches. Gill, Bill Parcells comes to mind in another sport, Pat Riley. You know, I could go Bill, Bill Belichick with the Patriots. Sure. Gill is up there, and it's 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 a shame that he didn't have a chance to see it more through because he could have been. I don't want to say Walter Alston, who was with the what was it, the Dodgers, almost thirty years. Sure. But I don't think Gill would have been out of there, you know, overnight. I don't think. I think he would have been 10, 12, 13 years. This probably would have been so much easier because you have the manager, you have the player. And uh, it's it's an interesting what if. I don't know if you had any dialogue with these guys about that, because I know it's more about Gil, but it was a very interesting what if in Mets history of Gil had not passed away. Absolutely. You know, one of the things, again, that I think added to why it took so long, sadly, he left in an instant. He was here and then gone. So he didn't have that either the longevity as a manager or who knows, does he go into TV color commentating in the eighties if he was still living at that time? So he's out there. He was sadly gone in a blink of an eye in April of 72. Um, But yes, when you talk to any of the 69 Mets or Mets of the early seventies, they often think the what ifs, boy, we could have really put something together for a while in the seventies. If Hodges were still around. And from what I understand from Gil Jr., it was his dad's intent. He didn't have any plans to do anything different uh, for the foreseeable future. So it is one of those what ifs um, in in Mets history to wonder what would have happened if Hodges uh, were alive and was able to manage in the 70s. I also think about him from a statistics standpoint, because that's what everybody likes to talk about in baseball. Leaving Brooklyn, a lot of people forget it wasn't Dodger Stadium when they first went out there. It was that crazy configuration in the Coliseum. Absolutely. 
and whatever. You know, how many did it add home runs? Did it take away home runs? His offensive production went down right away when he went out to L.A. And I think a lot of people forget, and this is always lost. The West was still very unknown in the 50s. We don't think of it like today it's L.A. and San Francisco and San Diego. And now everybody's going to Montana and Phoenix. And, you know, it's 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 like everybody wants to be in the West. Nobody wants to be here. But he went from Brooklyn where his 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 late wife is, you know, his his his, uh, his wife is still there. Yes. And he's going 3000 miles to this foreign place where it's it's really vast desert really at that point it's not it's just the them and the giants yeah it's crazy yeah, absolutely how hard that was i don't know if anybody talked about how hard that was for no, him but that, i mean you make a great thing. point from the statistics i mean playing in the coliseum was just incredibly difficult from an offensive perspective um you know and one thing we we point out and i think a lot of hodges fans recognize is um uh, you know, we measure statistics, how many MVPs, how many gold gloves, silver sluggers, yada, yada. He won the first three gold glove awards at the end of his career. And for those who 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 know baseball of the 50s, if that award had been started in the late 40s, the man would have won 12 or 13 of them. He, he would have been was, Keith Hernandez. He would have been he, Keith, he Hernandez. Keith Hernandez, who I personally consider the top two best mm-hmm. defensive first baseman. Um, of the uh, of the 20th century but I mean Hodges was an incredible first baseman and we point out in the in the film I think uh, Vin Scully mentions that the only reason he wore a glove is because the rules say you have to wear a glove <laughs> um, incredibly large powerful hands and um, uh, so you know that's another aspect of his career and those first three uh, Gold Glove Awards, it's worth noting, at that time were not split between each league. It was one for all of baseball, and he won those first three. His journey to become a Hall of Famer was interesting after his career. He doesn't get elected by the writers. And then we have this, like you said, 30-year journey where every year for a while, it was there was always that, that group stumping for Gill. And at some point, I think almost like that, that it was a lot more than just the, the loud minority, but I think they became like these fringe baseball people like, oh, here they are again, talking about Gil Hodges. And I don't know if that hurt him, but he made it to the Hall of Fame. And Ted Williams kind of screwed it up by disallowing Roy Campanella's vote because he wasn't present. Think about it today. When we vote on the Internet, we vote for everything on like click of a button, absentee ballots galore anywhere. Let's just, you know, let's say major decisions. I mean, there are people who probably want to use Instagram to, to select, uh, you know, people in politics. And uh, we can't decide on a Hall of Famer. Yeah, there, the guy... there's, yeah, there, there's a on. lot of uh, rumors and innuendos surrounding that whole story as to why. But you're right. I mean, that was Campanella died later that same year and he was in the hospital. Now, as we know, I mean, like everything in life, there's a political element sure. and uh, the committee back then had advocates as they do today that are a lot usually, of politics on that a lot of politics. And um, for whatever reason, Williams disallowed the Campanella vote, which would have given him the 12th vote. Um, you know, and I know you've mentioned on your podcast, Mike, in the and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, as happy I and I ve- am very happy, obviously, for Hodge's induction. I'm saddened that Dick Allen did not make it. 
on this yeah. ballot. Um, as you know, for 30 years, that's been the ongoing debate. Dick Allen, Gil Hodges, Gil Hodges, Dick Allen. They it's amazing both, to me. It's they should both be in. And for him to come up one vote short a second time, and we'll now have to right. wait five more years because they're on a six-year cycle, but because of mm-hmm. COVID, the golden yep. days era, I, I, I can't envision a situation in which he doesn't get in. Um, in five years from now, because the big names, Minoso, Hodges, uh, Alina, right. Hot are now off of it. So, But it would have been a real treat to have the two of them, uh, their families there come July in Cooperstown. But um, uh, we'll get to hopefully Dick Allen in five years. We'll enjoy Gil Hodges in the summer of 2022. And I know a lot of Mets fans are going to be there as well as uh, Brooklynites um, uh, who remember the days of the glory days of the fifties with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Couple of things before we wrap up. First, there is actually a Mets connection to kind of pushing this vote. We were talking off air before you came yes. on, which I think is interesting. No, it's I, definitely worth that? recognizing. Jay Horowitz, the very long time Mister Met, uh, the long time uh, PR director for the Mets, um, who now works in alumni relations. And I, you know, he has been um, very close to the Hodges family. He, he's just a wonderfully generous man, checks in with Mrs. Hodges uh, regularly. And Jay really, I got to say, went above and beyond the call of duty um, over the last month, month and a half, helping us promote the film, um, but also doing everything he could do to encourage folks to, um, uh, whenever possible, help promote uh, his candidacy. And and Jay just, uh, it was a pleasure for me to be able to work with him over the last month and doing what we could do to help. And then also, I think, you know, another key element of this vote, and you've mentioned it both here and on your last podcast, was Vin Scully penning an essay at the age of 94. Um, and uh, I think it was very heartfelt and honest, um, uh, Very much so. his his opinions and his thoughts on Hodges. I mean, he watched him. He lived with him day to day from 1950 uh, through the uh, the early 60s when he left the Dodgers and became the first Met. Um, right. And uh, I think that carried a lot of weight. I mean, it's uh, I don't think anybody's more respected in the game, past or present, than than Vince Scully. Yeah, it's got to be surreal. Talking to Vince Scully, I had interviewed Ernie Harwell many years ago, the late Ernie Harwell. And as I'm talking to him, I'm like, wow, this is a guy that interviewed like Ty Cobb. And I'm talking to him now, and this is 2007. So it is surreal. One last thing, uh, you know, there may be an opening now with Gil Hodges getting into the Hall of Fame where there's not that many first basemen in the Hall of Fame. That's the interesting part. If you go and you sort it, I think there's like 15 or less than 20 first basemen in the Hall of Fame. There's another first baseman that played for the Mets, played for the Cardinals too. That is borderline. I could make an argument against him. And I love Keith Hernandez. When I was a kid and I started watching baseball, I had a number 17 t-shirt, you know, is a a Keith photo right here to my left. You may or may not be able to see. I think it's cut off on the screen, (laughs) but, um, and he's a broadcaster. Now he has this uh, iconic broadcasting career. And I'm saying to myself, you know, Keith off the field issues, maybe not the integrity and the life story that Gil had. But an interesting life story, a different type of life story growing up uh, post-World War II and being a, a, a kid that got into the excess of the 80s and then had this success and again turning the, maybe another iconic moment in Mets history. Interesting if this opens up Keith Hernandez along with what he's done as a broadcaster into possibly being considered and did Gil Hodges getting in set kind of a bar now where others can say, hmm, this is interesting. I think so. I mean, I think we, you know, 
think about this, the Golden Days Era Committee only once in the past had ever elected even one person, and that was Ron Santo the year after he passed away. And lo and behold, here we are in 2021, and they elected four. They elected 40% of the ballot. And so I think it there may be a new mindset um, to some of these rotating, you know, what we used to call the old veterans committee, um, where they've now divided them into eras. And so I hope that's a new uh, approach to how the 16 members of each of these committees uh, will elect folks in the future. And obviously, um, from my perspective, and obviously you share the same, Hernandez numbers on the field alone are worthy of Cooperstown recognition and, and having his place uh, immortalized there. He was an incredible first baseman for many, yep. many years. And I think part of it too is as we get into the modern era and with some of the taint of the numbers, I think the Veterans Committee is going to say, hey, let's get more and recognize more of the 70s, the 80s. And I think this is a great opportunity. And if you ha- haven't watched it, gilhodgesfilm.com, Kevin O'Malley, CatholicAthletesForChrist.org. Kevin, appreciate you. were very generous of your time. Hey, listen, pleasure. when the Dodgers play the Mets in the, in the National League Championship Series, here's the deal I'll make you. I'll get you on and we'll have some fun banter. I would love, and, love uh, it. You know, you know what? It's okay. The Dodgers did win the World Series. It wasn't a strike-shortened season. It doesn't count. <laughs> but we'll get a chance to try to get you to win a real one, all right? So, I, I would love to do that, Mike, anytime. All right. And that's Kevin O'Malley, GilHodgesFilm.com. Very interesting stuff. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.